This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. If you were raised in a church that believed the Bible, and perhaps even if you were raised in a formal denomination that didn't teach the Word of God, at least as a child, most of us learned the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Folks, there's no greater truth on earth than that truth, and God wants us to know that truth. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But in this land, we know that the last three generations of Americans, if they've gone to public school, have been brainwashed. They they just have. You say, how is it that today we have all these crazy ideas? We can't figure out what marriage is. We can't figure out what gender we are. We, We can't figure out what form of government we should have. Why is there all this confusion? Because the generations, the last three at least, have been prepared for life but haven't been given an anchor. And when you're on the open sea and you don't have an anchor and your motor doesn't work, it's just a matter of time you will not survive. So that's where we find ourselves. But it's affected the church. And so this morning we want to look at Christian education, mentoring for the future, or you could give it this subtitle, Adults, our present, their future. Are we using our present life, our time, to help prepare the younger generations for the future? Now, the material you have in front of you is primarily from a 15-year-old study. That's not that long ago. But back in March of 2006, Christianity Today did a major study where they interviewed, took a survey of 16,000 Christian young adults. That's a lot of people in a survey. And that's why so many Christian leaders still go back to that study and what that study revealed. But Christian young adults, to examine the impact of college, and I would just say in a broader way, education, the impact of education on their faith. And we're going to use that study, the handout you have this morning, to answer this question, is Christian education worth it? Is it worth it? Now, practically, I hope we would say, yes, it's worth it. Uh, we are living in a dangerous world because we live in a dangerous America. For many years, America, a Christian nation, no longer Christian, but a Christian nation, helped respond to the effects of a world that didn't know God. Twice there were world wars and we had to come in to fix things. 
The residual effect of us being a Christian nation is still the fact that we're willing to send people into places like Afghanistan and at the sacrifice of our most precious natural resource, our youth, we're willing to try to help people enjoy the freedoms that we enjoy here. And by the way, for 20 years, they experienced, it wasn't perfect, what we have isn't perfect, but they got to enjoy freedom like they had never known it before. All right, so looking at this study, did you know that there are approximately 400,000 high school seniors each year that could qualify for admission to a Christian college? In other words, they, they understand basic doctrine and they would profess faith in Christ. And that statistic is pretty much held true. Of that number, only 15%, about 65,000, attend any kind of Christian college. If Christian education and Christian parents lose the remaining Christian youth at the rate that we are seeing in our churches and that this study showed, do you know that 52% of young people raised in Christian churches that are evangelical, preach the gospel, 52% of them will go their way and not come back to church and not live for God. Now, you say, that's, that's an amazing statistic, Pastor. Well, all you have to do is look at the churches you know. The church I was raised in, that statistic is accurate. Parents sacrifice, spend thousands of dollars to send their young people to Christian schools, perhaps even to Christian colleges, but about 52% those young people will turn away from the Lord and they'll go their own way. Many families know the hardship of that truth. So that means that at least 177,000 young people have moved away from the faith. That's annually. Strengthening the faith of the 65,000 who attend Christian college is commendable, but having three times that many fall away is, you want to circle this word, it's horrendous. Research clearly estimates that religious affiliation and behavior patterns of church attendance, praying, Bible reading, and witnessing. And let me, let me just stop there. Those are the basics. We know that that's what God says we should be doing in his word, right? That's what we should be doing. How many Christian parents do that consistently? There's part of the problem. Significantly decrease in the lives of those Christian youth who have attended either secular, private colleges, or public colleges and universities. Now, in the studies, these studies, here's what they found. The only exception, young adults who stayed connected. In other words, they continued to attend church. They continued to serve the Lord in their local church. Those that stayed connected were the exception but college was working against them if they went to a secular school. Next paragraph. Because teenagers in many ways are still, and young people, please don't be offended by this. I'll just say that this is what I'm, this next blank was true of me when I left to go to Bible college. 
Teenagers, in many ways, are still children. There's a whole lot about this world and life that I did not know when I left for college. What I was as a freshman in college and what I was as a senior in college, I'll just be blunt, I'm embarrassed about it. The change was dramatic. I was a child. I had so much growing to do. Still children, when they leave for college, they are in process of shifting from parental control to self-reliance. They are gradually depending uh, or developing life's core values. They move from an imposed faith. What's that mean? I have to do right. My parents have rules. All right? And by the way, young person, your level of maturity is indicated by how much you abide by those rules or react to those rules. Yeah. You say, well, I'm mature. I don't like this and this. and this. You're just proving you're not ready for life. And oh, by the way, life is about people who have rules that they're going to make you follow. I, that's life. All right, so they move from imposed faith to owned faith, and own faith, where it comes from the heart. During the college years, the student searches for his identity. The adult he or she will become largely takes shape during the college years. How can such a metamorphosis take place successfully for a Christian young person in an environment that is non-supportive at best and hostile at worst? Students who choose to attend non-affiliated independent institutions, okay, these are private but secular schools, or state institutions. This was interesting. Here's what else they found as they polled those, quote, Christian young people, that 16,000. Those who went to Presbyterian. Say, so why are they picking on the Presbyterians? Well, in case you don't know, the Presbyterian denominations went liberal years ago, denying the virgin birth, the inerrancy of Scripture, the deity of Christ. Okay, many of those denominations were the first ones to let in all this socially acceptable stuff. It directly contradicts Scripture. And then again, not to be unkind, but also, and we're talking about higher education here, Catholic-affiliated institutions. If you want to draw closer to God, you don't go to Notre Dame or Marquette. I pastored in Wisconsin. All right. Affiliated institutions appear to experience the largest declines in overall religious commitment. By the way, why is that true? They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. The power thereof is Jesus Christ. Students who attend independent Protestant, Baptist, and other Protestant-affiliated institutions report the largest increases in overall religious commitment. Now, please don't get mad at me. I didn't do the survey. Okay? I'm telling you what the survey said. From a broad range of churches, 16,000 professing Christian kids. Now, all this proves one thing. Well, proves other things, but one thing, here it is, it's in your notes, the importance of parents. Parents, you matter. 
which is, by the way, the reason why when COVID started and they were talking about live stream classes into homes, that some teachers reacted because the parents just might be listening in to what was taught. That's a problem. They're not the school system's kids, they're your kids. And oh, by the way, they're not paying your salary, you're paying their salary. All right, so the importance of parents. Think about this from the scripture. When Daniel and the Hebrew children were taken into captivity, quote, we really do not know how many people succumbed to the secular training system of Babylon. We do know this. Of the many who were enrolled, only four came out unscathed. Who were they? Well, we, we know Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel, by the way, why don't we ever use his Babylonian name? Well, it's a little hard to remember. Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All of the others who bowed to that system lost their lives. And by the way, the system wanted them to change. They even changed their names. They wanted them to change. The system in America, we call formal public education, wants to change your kids. Which is by, why, by the way, years ago, to make that change, they had to get rid of God. No prayer. Don't bring your Bible to school. And in more recent years, let's not even do the pledge because it says we're one nation under God. So let's just get rid of God. That would only allow them to set the stage to teach whatever crazy they wanted. Okay. All the others who bowed to that system lost their future, their past, their purity, their heritage. And oh, by the way, you do realize that public education is teaching another history that's not our history. The 1619 Project is part of that. Critical race theory is part of that. And most likely, speaking of these, these Hebrew princes, these children that were carried off into captivity, they lost their God. Henderson suggests that one of the reasons for the Babylonian captivity was the result of the complacency of the parents. For generations, not standing firm on their scriptural religious values. Why point the finger at the parents? Well, you and I know that that's really, that's where it happened. Now, I will pause and say this. I believe Daniel had godly parents. And the proof of it and these other Hebrews, these other three Hebrew children, the proof of it was when they got to Babylon, they had to stand on their own feet. The imposed faith became their faith, and they would not defile themselves even with the king's meat. So parents, I believe that Daniel's parents were the right parents. I believe the right kind of parents that you and I ought to be. We're not spectators, we're soldiers of truth. 
We're not just providers, but we are participants in the things that really matter. What is a profit a person if they gain the whole world and lose their own soul? You can teach your children how to make all the money in the world and have all the things and they can lose their soul. No, no profit to that. So the importance of parents. History proves it. The Bible proves it. But let's take it a step further. We need parents who are mentors. I'm going to use the biblical term, disciple makers. Jesus has commanded the church to go and make disciples of all people. That begins at home, right? All right, so the importance of mentors. And then those who help parents with their role. That's why I started out by saying, your young people are young people. Now, the world believes this. Okay, that's why Hillary Clinton said it takes a village to do what they are doing. But it takes a church to do what we should be doing. And that's why you say, well, we're a good Christian family, we just don't go to church that often. You're not a good Christian family. Because you are denying what God says you as parents need, what your children need to be discipled in the ways of the Lord. His plan is, this is the church age. By the way, it's not the college age, it's not the camp age. It's not the family vacation weekend age. The church age. Okay, so the importance of mentors. If college has this kind of an effect on core values, how much more important is early education to the formative spiritual development of young people? What is needed today are mentors, disciplers, who work with parents to make an imposed faith and owned faith. So this is what I'm attempting to do this morning, even in this preaching. It's what our pastoral leaders are attempting to do here through our schedule. We've we've said this over and over. I know our pastoral staff believes this. If, If we have any activity here that's not accomplishing evangelism and or edification, we're wasting our time. Okay? And that applies to children's ministry all the way up through. You folks who do your, these triple L trips, God bless you. Fellowship is important, but it ought to be, there ought to be something about those trips that includes evangelism and or edification. Where you're spending time in God's word, if it's not accomplishing one or the other, it's, it needs to. Okay? Now, Can we prove this from Scripture? Well, let's go back to what God did in Israel as far as mentoring. You'll remember that Daniel's parents, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's parents, they all knew names like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea. Who are those guys? They were prophets who were proclaiming God's word, his truth to Israel, trying to help parents prepare their children for what was coming and to walk with God. So the importance 
here of mentors? Can we see this in the scripture? Of course we can. Old Testament, notice the next paragraph, reproduction of one uh, life into another is the biblical pattern for furthering God's work from generation to generation. God discipled Adam and Eve. Is that a true statement? Every afternoon, Adam and Eve were in school. They walked with, with the Lord, I believe, with Jesus. I believe it was a Christophany. The Lord was there. They walked with the Lord in the cool of the day. A sweet fellowship, yes. But it was school. It was discipleship. Christ worked to make disciples of the twelve. Barnabas ministered to Paul. Paul ministered to Timothy. And what was Paul doing? He mentions it in 2 Timothy. He was supporting the work of Timothy's family. Remember 2 Timothy 1.5? Timothy had a godly mentoring mother and grandmother. We read this in 2 Timothy 3.15, From a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. So what, what was Paul doing? Supporting what mom and grandmother were doing to help Timothy know Christ and to live for Christ. If you don't know the scriptures, and, and even if you do, the question is always, well, where's dad? So this encourages me, even if it's not what we think of as their traditional Christian home. Mom and dad know the Lord, discipling the children. Here's a situation where dad was a Greek. And by the way, that's all the Bible says about him, but in the silence, the Bible does help us understand dad was no help to Timothy spiritually. If he had been, the Holy Spirit would have included that, right? So he's no help. So if he's no help, verbally, probably his example was no help either. But here's a young man, mom, grandmother, helping to disciple him. He learned about salvation through the scriptures, through them, and then through the Apostle Paul. Perhaps even he came to faith in Christ through Paul's ministry, Paul refers to him as his son in the faith. So since a child needs discipling, what is a parent's role? What's a teacher's role? Sunday school worker, those of you that teach in a formal classroom. We've got Christian school teachers who are part of our assembly here. We've got public school teachers who are part of our assembly here. Thank God for you. Uh, you're, you are so important in the work you do, whether it's in the harvest field or at, at home as a homeschool mom or Christian teacher in our formal public schools. By the way, thank God for teachers who exercise their constitutional rights to teach kids real history and teach them about God. And they're careful and they're wise and they are wise in how they do that. So, since a child needs discipling, whether it's the pastoral role, the parental role, the, the 
the practitioner, the teacher in the classroom. What is the teacher's role? Number one, here we go. The teacher's role is to be an examiner. An examiner. As Solomon mentored his son through the teaching of Proverbs, he made this request, My son, give me thine heart. Give me thine heart. Proverbs 23, 26. Paul instructed Timothy to look for faithful men, 2 Timothy 2, 2, who Timothy could then teach and they could teach others. What is it about a faithful man? Well, he's faithful in the sense that he's given his heart to the Lord. He lives for God. So teachers have to be not just professors of God, but pursuers of God. In my Christian school and college, the, the people that impacted my life were people who were pursuing God, and I got to listen and follow their example. Now, when a student, here's the right perspective, when a student has a pliable heart, look beyond where he or she is to what he or she can become. So, you're an examiner. Don't pick apart what they are right now. See it in light of what they can become. Again, Christ mentored those with promise, not those who were already proven, but those with capacity for improvement. Right? Okay, so... Look for what they can become and notice those who have the capacity for improvement. I like A.B. Bruce's book, Training of the Twelve. He says this, They, the disciples, were narrow-minded, superstitious, full of Jewish prejudices. Another word for that is just they were racist. Misconceptions and animosities. They had much to unlearn of what was bad as well as much to learn of what was good and they were slow both to learn and to unlearn. Even after Pentecost, and we'll see this in the book of Acts, guys like Peter, slow to unlearn. And by the way, I'm not going to pick on Peter because Mike is slow to unlearn. Been saved most of my life now. Slow to unlearn, slow to learn. But God hasn't given up on me, so thankful. So a teacher's role is that of examiner. Next, along with being an examiner, teachers must be an example. That's your role, to be an example. Mark 3.14, and he ordained 12, that they should be with him. They lived with him. They watched him. They listened. They saw his actions, his responses. Okay, so that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach. Mentoring can't be doing on a long-distance basis primarily. All right? Now, electronics can help with this, but, but we continue to influence. We need to continue to be an example Here's a helpful example, I believe. After a distinguished professional career, the violinist, Jaka 
uh, Heifetz accepted an appointment as a professor of music at UCLA. When asked what made him change his career, okay, professional, uh, entertainer, to teacher, he replied, violin playing is a perishable arc, art. It must be passed on as a personal skill, otherwise it is lost. Joshua didn't say, as for me and my house, we will talk about the Lord. I'm sure they did. We will serve the Lord. And you and I get to see through the book of Joshua, the entire book was written to tell us about how Joshua pursued the Lord and served him. And oh, by the way, what are the Gospels? Again, the Lord showing us through Jesus' example. His example. Not just what he taught, what he did. The whole book of the Bible, a whole book of the Bible was given to show us Joshua's example. Four books of the Bible to show us Jesus' example. Again, A.B. Bruce. The twelve, grievously needing to be taught meekness and brotherly kindness, were taught these virtues by Jesus in the upper room in much the same way here as elsewhere. By precept and example. By symbolic act. An added word of interpretation. So here's the application. When I pastored in Pennsylvania, here's what I asked of our staff. And this comes right out of the staff handbook there. All workers in our ministry are expected to be a continual witness for Christ. Each worker is expected to spend time visiting. Phone calling, although important, will not substitute for spending time in personal visitation. All full-time staff members are expected to participate in regular church visitation a minimum of twice a month. Visitation includes the regular church ministries of uh, BBC, prison ministry, nursing home, and so on. We ask that of our deacons. The same thing is asked of our staff and our deacons here. Why? Well, because we just need more people involved. No. We all need the right examples. Young people need the right examples. And again, parents, the right... My, my dad was a soul winner. I could sit in church and look around at people he had led to the Lord who were sitting there with us. Parents, your, your example is important here too. Not just our youth pastor and the youth staff. Well, they can take them out on visitation. And do most young people continue to go on visitation if their parents don't? No. Why? Well, that's what the youth pastor does. That's what the deacons do. Those examples are important, but it's something that we all should be doing. Amen? Okay. <laughs> A little weak. I caught you off guard. My bad. Next paragraph. Jesus' teaching ministry was reinforced by his example. Do as I say and not as I do has never worked in any aspect of life. Christ's witness moved Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. But listen, his example challenged the disciples to the uttermost parts of the earth. So we need to be examiners, examples. But here's a final 
part of what a teacher's role is that is so important. A teacher's role is an enthusiast. An enthusiast. Good News Baptist Church, are you excited about knowing Jesus and having the privilege to serve him? Yes or no? Well, the real answer to that is when your alarm goes off on Sunday morning and it's time to go to church. I won't ask for how many of you are enthusiasts, okay? Because honestly, sometimes I, I can't raise my hand. When the alarm went off this morning, oh, wow, wow, okay. But no, we ought to be excited about the privilege of knowing God and serving God. We ought to be enthusiastic about it. Why do some young people not want to follow the Lord with their lives? Because they look at their parents. This is no fun. We get excited about everything else. But serving the Lord. They get to sit in church and look down the pew and watch you worship. Yeah, it's quarter till and the preacher ain't done yet. There's nothing new there. They, they see what you get excited about. Some crazy sports teams. Like the Washington Thinskins. I mean, I'm not sure what their, whatever their new name is now. But uh, never mind. Okay. Oh, I just made a bunch of people mad at me. I am, I am so sorry. That's right. We are in Virginia, and there's a team up north that tries to play football. Okay, I, I get it. Okay. I, I'm just kidding with you, right? Don't be mad at me. I love you. I love football. In fact, there's a great team in northern Wisconsin called Anyway. But... Uh, But folks, listen, what do we get excited about? I found a deal at the store. Whoopee! Whoopee! Come on. There's something happening on this earth that is eternal. And there's a whole lot happening that's temporal. It just, it just doesn't matter, really, in the scheme of things. We need to be excited about the eternal. So... Those we teach are selfish and will become by nature apathetic to what is most important in life. Now, selfishness, and here's, here's how it demonstrates itself. When a young person says, when I'm 18, I'm moving out. Okay? Uh, what they are really saying is this. I get to run my life. I get to make the rules. And oh, by the way, no, you don't. You can sure try. But really, what, what is being said is this. I'll be selfish and I'll live for me. I've never heard a young person who, ha who has really given his or her heart to Christ Talk about being 18 or 21. Honest truth. Because all the things that we get to do when we're 18 or 20, somebody with a heart for God, none of those things really matter. It, it doesn't matter. 
I mean, I might have greater privileges now to serve the Lord because I get to go away and train a Bible college and, and I maybe get to serve in some other ministries and I get to do these things for God. My opportunities are broadened, but not, it's not about what other things I can do to please me. We need to be excited about the things of the Lord. Enthusiasm is contagious. So help them see that God's will for their life has become, or your life has become the most exciting thing in life. Renee and I have tried to remind our kids all the time, you get to do this and this and this and this, and so much of this is, is simply because mom and dad have pursued the Lord with our hearts. We've tried to serve him with our lives, and these are the blessings. My kids have gotten to travel all over the world. That would never have happened if God had not called mom and dad and if we hadn't surrendered to the call. So as we close, remember this. The difference between comfortable Christianity, and by that's a misnomer. That really doesn't exist. If you think Christianity should be comfortable, you're not finding out from the scripture what, what Christianity is, okay? The difference between comfortable Christianity and biblical Christianity is this. It's reproduction. God has called you to reproduce yourself through Christian education, discipleship, mentoring, and it is worth it. I wish I could just take the next half hour and have a family chat. The alternative to not pursuing Christ, not reproducing yourself, the alternative is broken marriages, shared custody of kids, shattered lives. There is a way that seems right unto a man or a woman or a young person, but the ends thereof are the ways of And our Lord says, I have a better plan for you, a better way. So let's mentor, let's disciple young people. Good news, you have gotten to see the power of God. Oh, we need to see so much more of it. But you also are surrounded by godly people who are just loving life. Let me rephrase it. They're loving their spiritual life. And that's what God wants you to love too as you love him. Let's bow our hearts and our heads. Father, thank you for your truth today. Lord, thank you for the precious young lives that you give to parents. Children are an inheritance from God. The fruit of the womb is your reward. Lord, the most precious asset, if we could use that word today here is these young lives, what potential they have for you. Lord, we rejoice that this last group of seniors who graduated from high school out of these good, solid Christian homes, Lord, they've, with this class, they've all gone off to train you, tra train to serve you. And, and our hearts rejoice. Now, God, would you help us to apply this truth and today to be willing to commit to you? Toward the hope of our high calling, 
Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God, or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and God's Word has had an impact on your life, as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.